Australian True Crime, the nation's leading independent true crime podcast, is hitting the road with our live show. We're coming to Sydney, Melbourne and Brisbane this July and tickets will be available starting May 10th at 9.30am sharp. They sold out in two hours last time, so do not dilly-dally. We know the suburbs of Australia are teeming with some of the most intriguing and chilling true crime stories the world has ever heard. Don't miss the chance to dive deeper and get involved with a live Q&A. With over a million and a half downloads monthly, these tickets will sell out. So keep an eye on our social media pages and check the podcast bio for direct links to purchase yours as soon as they're released on Friday, May 10. I can't wait to see you there. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which this podcast is recorded. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and to Aboriginal elders emerging. The following podcast contains accounts of child sexual assault. Listener discretion is advised. You know, sometimes I'm down the shops and then I just sort of catch out of the corner of my eye this young woman in a wheelchair being pushed along and and it's my Katie. You know, it's just, you know, hurts every time. Everything about it hurts, everything, all of it. You know, it's just heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking all the time. You may remember a couple of episodes back when we told you that journalists Nina Fennell and Sherelle Moody had discovered a loophole in Victorian legislation that meant that victims of sexual assault who identified themselves in public had been breaking the law since February 2020. The government claimed it was a mistake and it would be quickly rectified. 
Well, hold on to your hats because if the changes the Victorian government plans to make to those laws get through Parliament this week, every news article, podcast and social media post ever published about Jill Maher, Eurydice Dixon, Aya Masawi and any other victim of sexual homicide will need to be taken down and their names will never be spoken in the media again. This is Australian True Crime with Michelle Laurie and Emily Webb. Come with us as we go beyond the news cycle to find out how people become killers, how people become victims and what happens next. Later in the show, we'll hear from Chrissy Foster, who's been speaking on behalf of her daughters for many years. And you can read about the new laws proposed by the Victorian government that will prevent many families from being able to do that in today's Australian newspaper where Nina Fennell once again breaks the story. But Nina joins us now for an overview. Last time we spoke, survivors were saying, we've had phone calls from the Attorney-General and from the Premier, and they're saying, look, we're sorry, it's a terrible drafting error, and it's going to be fixed really quickly, the issues with the legislation. So what's happening now, Nina? That's partially correct. They they did say that they would fix things quickly. It wasn't merely a drafting error, though. It was some pretty substantive legislative changes that, that had been made. But what's happening now is they're going to introduce new legislation. They're debating it in Parliament this week. And what that new legislation will do is effectively it will return agency, generally speaking, to adult sexual assault survivors to be able to decide if and when they tell their story on their own terms. So that part of it, the Let Us Speak campaign is very supportive of. We think that adult uh, survivors and survivors generally should have that right to control their own stories and, and if and when their own name is published. But what they're tacking on to the end of it, which has caught everybody off guard, is some additional legislation. And what that additional legislation will do is criminalise anyone from naming a deceased sexual assault victim. So think people like Jill Ma or Eurydice Dixon or Aya Masawa or any number of individuals who have taken their own lives post-sexual assault. And I know that in um, recent decades there have been some very prominent family members who have taken up the fight on behalf of their now lost children following suicide, particularly in cases of sexual abuse and clergy sexual abuse especially. And and those families, along with families of people like Jill Moan and Ima Sala and so on, if they want to continue to speak out about their deceased loved one, they will now need to go back to court and fight for a court order to do that and actually prove that their case is in the public interest. So they're going to have to pass a threshold test, and that is a public interest test. They'll also need to demonstrate what the victim's wishes were if known, if they wanted, if it was known whether that victim wanted to be identified in public prior to their death. Now, you know, obviously in cases like Omar, that can never be known really. So it's it's pretty extraordinary that they would they would do this and they haven't actually consulted with those grieving families before adding this on. So I'm <laughs> dumbfounded, to be honest, that they could screw up so substantially the first time round in implementing a gag on living sexual assault survivors. And now they're going to fix the gag on living sexual assault survivors, but replace it with a different gag, which is on the families of deceased sexual assault victims. 
So if, for example, Tom Ma wanted to talk about sentencing issues in relation to Adrian Bailey being out on parole when he attacked Jill Ma, Tom's wife, he would not be able to name Jill in talking about that because he, he wouldn't have had her express permission before her death to do that because she obviously had no way of knowing that she would ever be a victim of sexual assault and be murdered. That's correct, but he also wouldn't be able to name himself either because if he were to name himself as the husband of a now um, deceased sexual assault victim, he would indirectly be identifying her so he could face four months jail or fines of thousands of dollars were he to identify himself. And I think it's important to clarify that this doesn't only apply to publications and media moving forward. Any news article which is still accessible online, which names Jill Ma or Eurydice and others would need to be pulled down. And it also applies to social media and it's explicitly written that into the legislation. So that means that the social media accounts of relatives and family members who who have talked about their loved ones or things like memorial pages, Wikipedia pages, if there have been GoFundMe set up to help grieving families with funeral costs All of that will be in breach of the law and need to come down or the people responsible for writing that material or producing and publishing that content could face uh, up to four months jail or fines. So what about this podcast that you and I are making right now? I will technically, by the time the legislation changes, yeah, this will be in contempt. If it wants to remain online, what would need to happen is that the family members of, of the victims uh, would need to go back to court and apply for court orders in order for the publication of that person's name to remain lawful. So we would need Eurydice Dixon's family and Jill Ma's family so far and I, to go to court. Yep. And, and Aya Masawi's family so far to go to court and, and get court orders for this podcast to remain online. Correct. That's right. My God. Yeah, the, the implications of it are huge. I mean, primarily, first and foremost, for family members because their own social media will be captured in this and their own ability to comment publicly in in the media will be severely constrained. And, you know, we know that following these horrific, horrific cases, it is often the family members who do want to comment publicly on failings of the criminal justice system. So when you gag them and you prohibit them from entering into public debate or public space, you're actually shutting down important public discourse around where the criminal justice system needs to be improved and strengthened. But it will also have enormous, enormous implications for media. And I think it's critical to point out that Like, personally, I do think that the media can get it wrong and and we can be intrusive and invasive. But going alongside that, I also think it's important to acknowledge that not one of those, like, in all three of those murders, it was the public naming of the victim in the immediate hours after their deaths that actually helped solve those crimes. So there is a clear public safety issue here as well in that the media awareness can, can generate uh, sort of crowdsourcing of information to help apprehend these violent offenders. And and were it not for some of that publicity and some of that mass exposure, that may potentially not have happened or it may not have happened as quickly. And I think that's another critical element that we should be considering in these discussions. Where has this come from? Why Why would the Victorian government think that this legislation is a positive move forward? 
Okay, so this is a really complex question, and the easiest way to answer it is that in Australia, the only ter- the only jurisdiction at the moment where uh, which has laws which actually even address this issue is Tasmania. And in Tasmania, it is a crime to name deceased sexual assault victims without their consent. That legislation is already in place. In all of the other jurisdictions, the law has actually been silent on this question of what happens if the sexual assault victim is now deceased. In the past, every other jurisdiction has always um, interpreted that silence, so media lawyers and others have interpreted that silence in favour of publication. So what that has meant is that when there have been cases like Jill Ma, because the law didn't say one way or the other if it was illegal to publish her name, they've said, well, in the absence of further clarification, we're going to assume that it is lawful to publish. And now what's happened is that the Victorian government has decided to address that ambiguity of law by closing the loop, and they're closing the loop in such a way as to explicitly criminalise it, which we're quite surprised. Well, I'm, I'm personally quite surprised they would do, would do that. When Tasmania did that, it was a pretty unpopular move. It was also a move that to many seemed to um, exacerbate stigma and shame around sexual homicide because You know, it's it's important to keep in mind that in every single other type of homicide in this country, the media can and does name the victim because there is an implicit understanding that in a homicide the victim is never at fault or that at least should be the understanding. If you then carve out sexual homicide as somehow different to every other type of homicide, you are, you know, indirectly and maybe unintentionally, but you are certainly marking it as somehow... Well, well, what is different? What are we saying that's different about sexual homicide? Are we saying it's shameful? Are we, you know, it raises those questions and that can in turn exacerbate cultural notions of shame which attach to that specific crime. And, and certainly when the Tasmanians did that, that was the reaction. So I'm really surprised that Victoria would follow in step, particularly when Victoria has generally been seen as a pretty progressive jurisdiction and also Victoria is the jurisdiction where we have had these really high-profile cases like Jill Maher and Eurydice and Iyer and, and a lot of the and it's been those high-profile cases which have actually really generated some pretty public condemnation and discussion around violence against women and the complete unacceptability of these sort of offences. Yeah, it's a really strange move too because so much recently has been about this move away from highlighting offenders and moving to humanising victims and really ensuring that it's the stories of victims that are told and not concentrating and focusing on telling the stories of offenders and and knowing their names. Mm. And this, so this seems like such a backward step in that area too, to, to make victims secret. Absolutely. And also things like the, the Let Her Speak campaign and Let Us Speak campaigns have really been about trying to centre the voices of the survivor. And a lot of survivors will say, you know what, the offender doesn't even get a name. He doesn't even deserve a name. It's not about the offender. This is about my journey and centering my experience over and above the experience of the offender. And that I think is a really constructive message, not just for that one individual, but for other survivors who may be listening in. And, you know, one of the things I find really concerning about this proposed legislation in Victoria is that if 
is a way, so, you know, first and foremost, how it will affect families and grieving families, but secondly, how it will affect storytelling in the media because if journalists cannot name Jill Ma, if the only way they can refer to her is as Adrian Bailey's victim, how erasing and dehumanising is that? And I, I worry about the message that sends families. I worry about the message it sends other survivors in the community and how it might exacerbate shame. But I also worry about how it, what, you know, what message does that send to perpetrators to see their names up in lights and to see that even in death, they still get to exert control over how their victim's story and life and narrative is framed. And I find that appalling. It's really regressive. And even just to hear you say that, for, for, for Jill Ma to suddenly be Adrian Bailey's victim and for her family to be silenced, it's just chilling, isn't it? Oh, it's appalling. It's, I mean, I, I, I cannot believe as well that this would be the solution to the problem that has previously been highlighted regarding silencing living victim survivors, that, that, that this would be the fallout of, of trying to solve that issue would be to implement yet another gag law this time, gagging grieving family members. I mean, and, and so what those grieving family members would have to do is, yes, go back to court, and that can be a pretty traumatic process in and of itself. We've recently been through that process now nine times with living survivors, and it's gruelling enough for them, but to have to do that in the wake of a loved one's death um, and violent death would just be just so that you can you can say their name and respond to what's occurred. It kind of beggars belief, and I, I guess the 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 counter argument, which is important to acknowledge, the counter argument is that. Um, that there are deep concerns around media exploitation of people who are in that period of who, who are grieving and that there needs to be better protections for them and that of course it is true as well of course that not every family member who loses um, a loved one particularly in such horrific circumstances will want their loved one's name in the media and and also within families themselves, there can be division of opinion. Um, you know, there may be, and there can be, you know, quite intense friction and and tension around whether or not they want their loved one's name out there. But I'm just really not convinced that this is the answer of of forcing the family back through the court through the court system, and and that if we want more ethical, responsible journalism that doesn't exploit people in times of grief or or intrude on their privacy in such malicious ways, are there ways to actually try to regulate that that don't involve the family being punished and having to go through the court system? It seems like an overcorrection. Absolutely. And again, it puts the onus on the family to have to incur the burden of the work rather than putting the responsibility back on journalists to reflect on their own practices and their own boundaries and ethics. And so in that way, it's making the family again responsible, which I find troubling. Thank you to our patrons for helping us bring stories like this to your attention. You can become a patron at patreon.com forward slash pod. Thank you, Mary Murphy, Fiona McVeigh, Kate, Claire Baker and Belinda Ferguson. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. In 1995, Chrissy and Anthony Foster read in the local newspaper that their parish priest, Father Kevin O'Donnell, had been charged with child sex offences. He lived in the presbytery attached to the school their two young daughters attended. They asked their eldest, Emma, if he'd ever touched her. She shouted no and stormed from the room. Within months, she was in a psych unit with anorexia. She was using drugs and self-harming. Her younger sister, Katie, had also started to unravel. Eventually, Chrissy found a suicide note in which Katie confessed that Father O'Donnell had regularly taken her and her sister out of class to sexually assault them. In 1999, Katie was hit by a car and left with a debilitating brain injury. In 2008... Emma took her own life. Their parents, Chrissy and Anthony, fought tirelessly together for two decades to hold the Catholic Church accountable for the many ways it's failed children. Anthony died suddenly in 2017, but Chrissy fights on. She joins us to talk about the importance of having the freedom to speak on behalf of her daughters, who are no longer able to speak for themselves. Going through it and discovering what went on and what was behind it and how it all works uh, is, uh, I suppose, fascinating but terrible as well. And it's something that I couldn't keep to myself. I just had to get it out there because that's exactly where I'd come from, uh, not knowing and my children falling uh, victim because, well, I wasn't aware of anything. Um, I don't think anyone was. It was uh, back in the days when my children were young, it was uh, stranger danger, which is uh, no use whatsoever. I think 5% of these uh, assaults happen with strangers and the other 95% um, is someone you know. So it's a bit of a furphy. It's only people, victim survivors, talking about their experience and that's how you learn how it happened, how it can happen, 
how it operates, you know, why children don't say. It's uh, it's quite insidious, you know, it just happens right under your nose and you don't know it. So speaking about it is a really good thing because um, speaking about it is the antidote. And the long-term repercussions, unfortunately, you're, you're somewhat of an expert in, but the things that have happened in your family are not uncommon. You've lost no. one child to suicide, <laughs> another yeah. a terrible accident, the result of binge drinking. Uh, well, you know, Emma passed away when she was 26, but for 10 years, um, 13 years before that, she was suffering greatly. You know, she was self-harming. She was anorexic for over a year. You know, she got down to 44 kilos. Um, she was 170 centimetres tall, so she was tall and just skin and bone, uh, you know, and she used to cut herself over dose on medication. You know, it went on and on and on, and her life just spiralled down and down and down. Uh, until the end where she took her own life. And Katie, you know, her effects weren't that severe, but, um, you know, it was just a very bad mistake, you know, that she was, um, well, binge drinking and, you know, she ran out on the road and got hit by a car. So... The repercussions of that was that she was in hospital for a year and um, she's had 24-hour care ever since. So that was 1999 in May. So, you know, her life has um, is not what, what it should be and everything that goes with that, you know, it's just heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking all the time because of how she is and you know sometimes I'm down the shops down the Oakley shops and then I just sort of catch out of the corner of my eye um, this young woman in a wheelchair being pushed along and and it's my Katie you know it's just you know hurts every time everything about it hurts everything all of it and that's just the repercussions you know, I can't let it rest. I can't let it be because I have reminders every day. And until there's some sort of justice about it, it sort of drives you. But I've had a lot of justice about it um, with the Victorian Parliamentary Inquiry and the Royal Commission. You know, that was very uh, soothing because it was people in power looking at this crime and... Uh, you know, believing it and doing something about it, taking action about it, uh, and what more could I want? Just amazing and very grateful to that. Um, and, you know, it gives Australia the, the opportunity to be the safest country in the world for children. Uh, we just have to follow the Royal Commission recommendations and states, every state and territory is slowly doing that, which is amazing and wonderful. It again makes this proposed legislation all the weirder, doesn't it? It does. I really don't understand it. You know, no one forced me to speak out. I just had to do it. I was in a rage and when I understood how it operates, 
especially in the priesthood, I just had to, you know, pursue that and expose it. And that's what I did. But that was my choice and no one forced me to. Uh, and the same applies in the opposition that if you don't want to speak about it, no one can force you to. And just from what Nina's saying, it almost comes down to uh, like a family dispute, you know, within a family, some want it said and some don't. In the meantime, they're silencing everybody. And it really is, you know, when you look at it, it's people speaking out, victims speaking out, telling what they've done to journalists, to the media, and that then going out to the general public that has caused the outcry which propelled the government into having the Victorian Parliamentary Inquiry and then further uh, the Royal Commission. And that's what's done it. And if this law silenced all those people, then we'd still have the priests and other people in other institutions sexually assaulting children. It's quite a disaster that this is happening and it makes no sense. And I have to ask where this push is coming from because it's not the Victorian government because they've made so many changes. They are the best government in Australia for changing laws to help victims, to make it a more pl even playing field. So, and I know it's just a, an unintended effect of the law, supposedly, but it's just all very, I don't know, suspicious or something. You're in the unenviable position, but you are an expert in this situation. You have been your daughter Emma's voice since 2008 when she died. How important is it to you to have been able to speak for her since then? Um, well, it's, um, it's very important because as much as I don't like saying it all the time, you know, their story, it's been that terrible story these crimes committed against innocent little children behind closed doors by someone who's a, a priest, a holy, supposedly ontologically changed man. And here he was doing it for 50 years to children, protected by the hierarchy who knew about him since the 1940s and 1958 and other complaints about him and yet maintained in his job. It's absolutely mind-boggling, hair-ripping out, you know, fury. I know that you lost Anthony way too young in 2017, and so now you're fighting on alone. And so, again, the thought of families having to go to court now to get court orders to just keep doing what they've been doing. It's heartbreaking, isn't it, to have to go through another legal process, another spend money on legal fees and all of that kind of stuff. It is. Yeah, it just seems another oh, blow against victims. I mean, why are we always on the receiving end? You know, where are our rights? Where are the rights of the children? You know, just because they were children doesn't mean they don't have rights. Um, they're human beings and they have human rights. 
um, but they're treated like they're worthless. And in a way, you know, children can't vote, they don't have money, they can't spell, they're, they're little, they're not powerful. And all, all of that should not add up to them being treated like this. You know, they should be honoured and um, respected. And yet this happens when they're children and it's battle after battle after battle. Um, the statistics of getting your offender in prison are so minute. It's something like 0.03%. It's um, just a shocker. And why should that be? You know, and then the few that get in, then they get off on appeals. It's... Um, See, if people knew the statistics on that, there'd be an outcry. But it's another thing we, we're not aware of. Well, thank you so much for talking about this. I'm sorry that you have to keep talking about it, but I thank you so much for the fact that you keep talking about it because you're right, it is, it is the fact that people like you talk about it that's changed Australia. You have changed the face of Australia for the good, for the better, and you've changed it for children. Thanks, Michelle. It's um, it's an honour for me to do this, to to attempt to make the future better for children. And um, it's you know been twenty five years soon next March, but it's yeah, it's a wonderful thing to be doing. Thank you. Thank you to our guests, Nina Fennell and Chrissy Foster. The Let Us Speak GoFundMe campaign assists survivors in many ways, including with legal fees in dealing with Victoria's laws. There's a link in the show notes to this episode and on our Facebook page to help you if you'd like to contribute. Thank you to patrons Lizzie D, Ash Glasscock, Renee Makeda, Emily Marsh, Lydia and Bree Francis. And thank you for downloading this episode of Australian True Crime made in association with the ACAST Creator Network. We'll be back next week. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Even on a budget, Quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. 
And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Australian True Crime, the nation's leading independent true crime podcast, is hitting the road with our live show. We're coming to Sydney, Melbourne and Brisbane this July and tickets will be available starting May 10th at 9.30am sharp. They sold out in two hours last time, so do not dilly-dally. We know the suburbs of Australia are teeming with some of the most intriguing and chilling true crime stories the world has ever heard. Don't miss the chance to dive deeper and get involved with a live Q&A. With over a million and a half downloads monthly, these tickets will sell out. So keep an eye on our social media pages and check the podcast bio for direct links to purchase yours as soon as they're released on Friday, May 10. I can't wait to see you there.